Welcome to the You Are Infinitely Loved podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Koos. We believe that loving yourself is the key to transforming every aspect of your life. And it's our hope that these conversations bring you one step closer towards embracing this truth. We are so thrilled to be speaking with one of our dear friends today, Gayla Gower, who's visiting us from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I have known Gayla for about 18 years. I met her during high school where she came and taught us how to Vogue. Oh, brother. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, when I moved to the States in 2000, she was uh, kind enough to let me stay at her house for about a week before school started. Um, so yeah, we've been friends for quite a while. And welcome. So glad you can join us today. Hello. Welcome. So, Gayla, today I am curious if you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, all right. Happy to. Happy to be here, even though I totally just invited myself to your lovely home. I grew up in the Ozarks. Um, I am not from a very healthy family. My mom was... Are we just jumping right into the hard we're stuff? Just going right, we're just going right in. Let's go right in. Well, I will say the reason we invited Gayla to our podcast is because we made a list of people who exemplify love and compassion and um, are willing to grow and change and that we are so inspired by. So while Coos knew Gayla the longest... I have, I'm calling it single white femaleing gala <laughs> in that I um, kind of want to become her because she's so loving and also super fun. So before we jump into your dysfunctional family, mm-hmm. I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, and I have made it clear that Lindsay should probably set her sights a little higher. <laughs> <laughs> no. This isn't really something you want to emulate, but. You know, it actually is. It oh, actually is. Well, that says more about you than me. <laughs> <laughs> We've agreed we're all in therapy. We're good. We're good. That's right. That's right. Uh, yes. Yeah, so grew up in the Ozarks, not a real healthy family. Um, couldn't wait to get out of the small town I grew up in. Uh, went away to college to the grand metop- metropolis of Tulsa. So if that tells you how small the town I grew up in was, Tulsa seemed like escaping to the big city. Um, graduated from college in Tulsa, taught for a few years, then ended up uh, moving to Indonesia where yes, for reasons that we shan't go into, I did teach Koos how to Vogue. (laughs) She was really good at it. Oh, my stars. That's so crazy. Yeah, so I lived in Indonesia for a couple of years and then went traveling for another year before moving back to the States and getting married and um, lived back in the States and taught there for a few years before I started having children and... um, Ended up getting divorced a few years later, and here we are. The end of the podcast. Yeah. That was really great. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. What made you decide to move back to the States? From Indonesia. Yeah, from Indonesia. Um, I left Indonesia actually because I met Mick, who Mm -hmm. I ended up marrying. And so I left Indonesia and went to Australia to be with him. We got engaged while we were in Australia, and then I came back to the States to plan the wedding. So did you quit your job and then move to Australia yes. to be with him? Yes. Oh, wow. So I had already left my job in I Indonesia. I did not know that. Yeah, to go to Australia to be with him. Then I came, we got engaged. I came back to the States. I was going to plan the wedding, and then we were going to move back 
to Australia. But I got back home and I hadn't been home in like two and a half years. I had been overseas the whole time. And while I loved it, I absolutely loved living overseas. There is something about returning to familiar surroundings that makes you go, oh, right. (laughs) These are people who get me. I forgot what it was like to be around just the familiar comforts of a homeland. Frankly, I'm sure that's something you can really relate to, Coos, that this this is where I felt, oh, just understanding and belonging and didn't have to explain myself. And so I ended up breaking up with Mick over the phone, which is awesome of me. I know, I know. (laughs) Um, Before he could even come to the state, I just said, I don't want to go live in Australia. That is a deal breaker for me. I want to live here. So this is over. And he did not agree that it was over. And he said, I'm coming anyway. And I said, please don't because that's weird. And don't come for Christmas with your ex-fiance's family. And he said, you can pick me up at the airport or I will take a taxi. And I said, we don't have taxis in Mountain Grove, Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) So he ended up coming here and um, deciding that he could stay. And so uh, that's when we got married and decided to stay in Tulsa. Back to the big city. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That was probably not the most... um, intuitive move on his part with retrospect. He is definitely uh, the kind of person who loved being Australian and loved that whole identity of the outback. And I met him because he was my tour guide when I went to Australia on a holiday while I was teaching in Indonesia, you know, so he definitely identified so much with that whole crocodile Dundee thing. And then for him to come and live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, this was not going to meet a lot of his needs. I think a wiser version of him would have recognized that and said, no, I can't do this, but that didn't happen. And so then there we were. Mm -hmm. When you go back to that time in your life, how did you feel about yourself? Do you feel like you loved yourself? You knew yourself well? You mean before I married him? Yeah. I would say I was a person who didn't trust myself. Okay. I um, remember, I remember thinking, I wish someone would disrupt this. I wish that God would tell someone (laughs) to tell us to break up. I remember Mm -hmm. thinking that. Even up to weeks before my wedding. But my family loved him. Mm -hmm. My friends loved him. Everyone thought he was so great. And listen, he's my ex-husband now, but I'm he's a great guy. If you were to meet him, he's a great person. He's not an evil incarnate. He is not someone I should have married. So I trusted what my friends thought of him and what my family thought of him more than I trusted my own gut. Gotcha. So you're saying at some point your gut told you this might not be a good idea. Definitely. Oh. Because when I broke up with him, I remember feeling a tremendous amount of relief. Uh, like a weight was lifted and like whew, I dodged a bullet. Wow. I'm getting a second chance. 
Um, and then when he came here, excuse me, he just, I think part of it is the unique factor. He is from Australia. He has a very charming accent and, you know, and he's a, a decent human being to be around. And so that's the unique factor, I think, played a big part in charming my family and my friends. Not that he was out to deceive anyone. That that wasn't, that's not one of his motivations. But I think the reason they were so enthralled by him, those reasons were not that they thought, oh my gosh, this is a great fit for Gayla. It was, oh, what a unique mm. character. And isn't this so neat that he's here in our, all of our lives? Um I wish that I was a person at that point who could have said, my gut is saying no, and that's enough. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't. So you got married, and then I remember in year 2000 when I lived with you, you were pregnant with Jack. Yes. How did it make you feel towards him then? Like, after you got married, were you like, oh, great, I think I made the right choice? Or did you still have that gut feeling? Or um, I no, I never felt like this was the right choice. Um, so now saying that as a mom, right, the three kids, mm-hmm. how is that? Like, how does that feel? Like when you think about that, here's the thing with tough relationships. Everyone wants to tell you, but you have these three kids. And listen, a, a, a grounding foundational element in my life is that I love and adore my children. That absolutely goes without saying. However, when you are in a terrible marriage and someone tells you, well, at least you have these three kids and you wouldn't have these kids, this is what goes through. I won't speak for everyone because every marriage is different and every divorce is different. I can only speak for myself. What would go through my head would be, I would have other children. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not a diss on the children that I have who are wonderful human beings. It's the fact that you cannot live in that amount of pain and think this make this justifies it. Yeah, this makes sense. I would always, I told a friend this analogy once. I said, that's like me saying to you, oh, you were supposed to marry Tom and you didn't. And you were going to have a girl named Susan. Mm, don't you miss Susan? No, you don't miss Susan because you don't know Susan because she's imaginary. <laughs> so that analogy of telling someone, at least you have these children, you obviously do not understand the amount of daily pain that it takes to exist inside this relationship because to anyone who is living with this amount of pain, yes, I have these wonderful children and yes, I'm so grateful for them. But if I could go back in time and not marry him and eliminate this pain, oh, I would, even if it meant now I don't get those children. I have different children. I would do it. So it changed my feeling in the relationship because I felt more trapped Right. because I felt like um, I was utterly convinced that um, children turn out better if they have two parents, which statistically in every research you could ever read, they do. Mm-hmm. I was utterly convinced that I had to just take it yeah. and I was going to take one for the team and my children were going to turn out better because their parents stayed together. And it took me a very, very, very long time to realize that's not actually true. And what was it that got you to that place? Like over time, I'm Um, sure. Straight up good counseling. Yeah. Years, 
and years of good counseling. Um, counseling that helped me realize why I chose him in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lindsay, I'm sure you know in your work, you're familiar with the words, um, the familiar destructive. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned right off the bat, I did not come from a happy home. My mom was uh, very abusive physically, verbally, emotionally. So when a child grows up in that atmosphere, even though you may know on a conscious level that this is not okay, there is something in you that says it's familiar. Mm -hmm. I understand being treated like this because I've always been treated like Mm -hmm. this. So when I met Mick, there was something in me that thought I recognize this Mm -hmm. and you can romanticize that and say, Oh, it felt just so familiar from the start. Yeah, but it wasn't a good familiar. Right. right. (laughs) It was a very, very destructive familiar. Mm -hmm. The feeling that I had that connected me with him was a feeling that reminded me of the neglect and abuse that I suffered from my mom. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I traded one abuser for another. And I think that is one of the most common things Mm -hmm. that especially women do. Mm -hmm. Because it just feels normal. Mm -hmm. That was my normal. And then now let's translate that into me feeling like I have to stay in this relationship for my kids. Well, then what I'm doing is I'm now perpetuating that to the next generation. I am teaching my children, this is what a marriage is. This is what you can expect. This is how sons, sons, this is how you should treat a woman. Daughter, this is how you have to take it as a woman. And it took a counselor saying to me, what do you think you are modeling for your children? That was the question. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Whoa. That was the question that broke me wide open because I realized in that moment, I am teaching my daughter to take it. And I am a strong woman. That is not my character. That is not who I really am. But that is who I was being in that relationship because I thought I had to survive it. And that was the moment I realized I'm not doing my kids any favor by staying because my boys are learning. This is how you can treat a woman. Mm -hmm. My daughter is learning. This is how you can be treated. And I want to be really clear and state it takes two. I am not a picnic to live with, (laughs) despite the fact that Lindsay wants to live with me as my stalker. I do. I am not a picnic. I mean, I made mistakes and I hurt him. I know I did. And together, the two of us created dysfunction that we absolutely could not get out of. And so we both quit trying to get out of it and we were just living in it. Now that I'm on the other side of that, and I have teenage children, and I'm counting 11. My daughter's 11. I'm counting that as a teenager. (laughs) Um, They are wise, and that wisdom is um, hard fought. Do I wish they didn't have to have this wisdom? Absolutely. Absolutely. But because they have it, I truly believe that they are more compassionate individuals They look at their fellow man in a different way. They look at life in a different way. And my oldest son, who is 17 and a half, actually said to me very, very recently that if his dad and I had stayed together, and this is a direct quote from his mouth, he said, if you and dad had stayed together, I would have thought it was normal for a mom and a wife to cry all the time. Wow. 
That is intense. Right? I I didn't know he saw that. I thought I was working so hard to hide my tears and my pain from my kids. But obviously, they're not stupid. They see what is going on. But they don't have any context, just as I didn't have any context to say, this is not normal. This is my normal. That was their normal. The soup they were swimming in was toxic and contaminated and normal to them. So now that we've been able to take them out of that toxic soup, now they can look back and say, my son even said, I feel like I know the real you now because I'm not that person that cries all the time. That's not who I really am, but that's who they saw. That's who their mom was, was a person who cried all the time. My boys are really in danger of growing up and thinking, oh, my wife's crying. Oh, well, that's what wives do. <gasps> right? Oh, my gosh. So for me, and, and I want to be so cautious when I say these things because by no means am I saying everyone should get a divorce. Because it sounds fun. <laughs> sounds like a picnic. <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> I mean, really and truly, it's, it's torturous and rough. However, for me, and again, this is only my story, divorce was easy. Marriage was hard. Right. My marriage was a living nightmare that was life-sucking and crushing my soul. Divorce has been easy because it did end that daily pain that I was living in. What would you say, how many years out have you been? Three years. Just three years. What would you say how you feel about yourself now Mm. versus how you felt about yourself prior? Mm. Oh, wow. Because I do Um. feel like in the three years you've been able to kind of blossom back into who you are. Mm. And because when you say... um, sad and crying that is really hard for me to see because I think of you as one of the most joyful people I've ever met Mm. and so I can't imagine how departed from your true self you must have been Mm -hmm. to say that you're crying and and lost and alone and sad and all those things is so polar opposite from who I know you to be yeah and I think even before you answer that questions I am curious about growing up in the church community if there's any kind of shame that you carry, like, mm. oh my gosh, I'm a failure because I can't even do marriage right, mm. or even considering divorce, like, oh mm. my gosh, what am I doing? I right? Mm. Sure. The, that has to be one of the divorce, biggest roadblocks. Yeah. Most definitely. F- feeling like I am failing my children, like they won't have their dad anymore. Mm-hmm. And like what what, what sure. is that whole thing like? Yeah, definitely my background growing up in a non-denominational evangelical church played a very big role in the fact that I stayed as long as I did because I was utterly convinced that divorce is like, you just don't just don't, you just don't. Um, so even the fact that I was considering it was the scarlet letter even before any of it happened. Um, and, and the church is a, a, a place where you hear a lot of these statistics about here's why you should stay together and um, here are the results of your kids if you don't and a lot of fear attached to it. Um, However, I think another wise counselor said to me, 
God doesn't love the institution of marriage more than he loves the individuals in the marriage. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the message that I got from the church was the institution of marriage, the institution of the family. These are the Holy Grails. Mm -hmm. No, we are the Holy Grails. God doesn't love this man-made institution or God-made institution, whatever you want to describe it as, more than he loves the people who are in the institution, right? Wow. So God loves Mick, my ex-husband, and myself way more than he loved a piece of paper that we signed and filed with the state of Oklahoma. When the day I actually filed for divorce, I had my paperwork, I had my friend Andrea go with me to the courthouse because this was scary. And in the Tulsa courthouse, the place that you file for divorce is on the same counter as the place that you file for death certificates. So I'm standing there with my paperwork and the lady is stamping everything. And I look to my right and I see some people filing death certificates. And I thought, oh, that's what I'm doing. Because that death certificate didn't make that person die. They didn't file this death certificate and someone dropped dead. The person has died. They're filing a piece of paperwork because the government likes to keep track of these things. Right? So that death certificate is saying, this is something that happened. We are filing public record so that you can know that it happened. And I thought, that's what this is too. This doesn't make me divorce. This paperwork that this woman is stamping, that's not the divorce. The divorce is what happened. The divorce was the breaking, the crumbling, the destroying that has already taken place. I'm just now letting the government know. <laughs> I know you like to keep files on these things. So here's some paperwork to let you know this already happened. That happened. Right. Yeah. yeah. When you think about... That gala, filing for divorce, what feelings do you have for that woman? Mm. If you go back three years ago, four years ago, to that space. She was so afraid for her kids. She was utterly and completely terrified that she was ruining her children's lives. She knew she could not stay in that relationship any longer. And even with that knowledge of what am I modeling for them, when I look back at that girl, she's just so utterly terrified that this is going to be the thing in her children's lives that scars them and sends them down a path filled with, you know, coke addiction and... <laughs> Selling drugs on the streets. I don't know. Like, what is, what's the worst As thing you can does. imagine? That's right. one does. Um, and I, I, I lived in that fear for quite some time, mm -hmm. knowing I had to do this. I had to do this. But wanting so badly for my children to be okay. If I could go back to her just three years ago, I would whisper in her ear, they're okay. Mm -hmm. They are okay. Not just okay. They're flourishing. Mm -hmm. They're way beyond okay. It was rough. Mm -hmm. And it was awful. Mm -hmm. And holding your children while they cry, nobody wants to do that. Mm -hmm. 
holding your, your boy and telling God, I will take him back. I will take Mick back if it will make this pain go away. I will. I am willing to die on this altar if it means my children will be okay. And then having God whisper in my heart, and what will you do the next time he leaves? Because he will leave. And knowing (laughs) we would be right back here again. We would be right back in this same place. And I would be holding him yet again. And the pain would be even deeper and the scar would be even worse. There's no way out but through. (laughs) You have to just keep going through. And it sucks and it's terrible. But we did it and they're okay. Can I just tell you a vision that I feel like I had? Please do. Please do. <laughs> so, um, one day I was laying one morning, it was like 3 a.m. I'm laying on the floor in my living room, face down, weeping. My children were not at home. And I had been pacing the floor for hours, just tormented. And now I look back, I was having a panic attack, an anxiety attack. I didn't know what that was because I'd never had it before, but that's what that was. And I'd been pacing the floor and just completely anxiety ridden and face down on the floor. I was crying out to God and just saying, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin their lives. And I remember glancing up and I know exactly where in my dining room I looked and I felt like I saw Jesus standing there. And here I am in the utter depths of despair in a place no human being wants to go to the darkest moment of my entire existence. And I look at his face and it was so filled with peace and joy to the point where it almost pissed me off. Like, <laughs> I am crying on the floor me? and you're smiling. But it radiated. The, the message I got was that he's not worried. He's not worried about this. I'm utterly consumed with worry. And Jesus was standing there smiling peacefully. And I felt in my heart, I felt like he was saying, you can't mess this up. You can't mess this up. Those kids are, you're borrowing them from me. I've got them. And it was just utter confidence. There was no, 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 Kayla. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. No, it was, it's going to be fine. Like the amount of confidence and peace, I can't even explain it. And he just kept saying, you can't mess this up. You can't, you can't mess this up. And I was like, oh, yes, I can. Challenge you watch accepted. Me. Challenge accepted. Hold my beer. <laughs> I can screw those kids right up. <laughs> but just thinking, why, why isn't he more worried about this? Why isn't he more upset about this? Hmm. Because he knew it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And that is an image that stayed with me through it all like wow okay all right i'm just gonna lean into that jesus thinks this is gonna be okay uh he's probably not wrong but we'll see and that was a a, a horrible and beautiful moment i always like to talk in my sessions and as i think about myself as 
for me, going to a place where you can hold more than one emotion at a time is so often the goal for myself mm. and for my clients. Just in that we so want to live in this one feeling place. Mm. Um, this is terrible. So I feel awful. Like when I'm in grief, this is, this is the worst. And so I feel terrible. And in reality, when we push into those feelings, like what is grief bringing to us? Like, is there a gift in the grief? Can the grief be both awful and precious and sweet and pieces of peace that we never experienced. And so I think as you're talking about that moment, that pops up for me that you're feeling despair mm -hmm. to the point of having a panic attack. And at the same time, feeling a sense of peace. Mm -hmm. And those things seem really polar opposite. Yes. And, and I would say even beyond peace, feeling a sense of hope. Whoa. Right. And that was, um, so despair and far. hope, <laughs> right. Despair and hope. How do you, they are polar opposite, right? Like how mm -hmm. do you hold both of those things that appear to be opposites in the same hand at the same time? Mm -hmm. I think every human who's ever lived has, and I'm saying this as a history teacher. Okay. I used to teach us history and I would explain to my students you know, when middle schoolers discover Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And P.S. I own a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> when, when students discover that, especially middle school students, they want to swing the pendulum from, wow, Thomas Jefferson, great guy, to, oh my gosh, Thomas Jefferson, scum of the earth. The truth is he's both. He's awesome. And just come on, dude, Really? Martin Luther King, amazing dude, totally slept with prostitutes. We all, this is who we are at the same time. So my goal as a history teacher for middle schoolers is to get them to not let one cancel out the other. Mm -hmm. The good that someone did stands right alongside with the bad that they did. We have to hold those things in both of our hands. You can't just say, well, I'm going to pretend you're super good and ignore your bad. And I can't say, oh, you're just gross and awful and ignore your good. Tying that into holding two emotions at the same time. That is who we are as human beings, right? It's never just one thing. It's all of it together. And I would say, I feel like that takes a lot of knowing yourself, studying yourself well, to be able to be in that place, mm. to be able to hold both emotions simultaneously. Because like you said, like middle schoolers, we're black and white, like developmentally black and white. Like um, we're supposed to be that way. That's how we're designed. And yet I think the wisdom and the maturity um, of life teaches us that, nope, it's all of it. It's not and or, mm -hmm. it's also and. And so I feel like... The next question I have for you is what would it be like if your current self could go back to yourself as you're getting divorced apart from your children and the worry that you had was put aside. What else was there for you? What were you thinking about for yourself? For myself? Can you even go there? Was that even yeah, on the radar? I, absolutely. That's a great question. That is a great question because that was... <laughs> I was feeling a tremendous amount of relief. I was feeling hope mm -hmm. for my future mm -hmm. for the first time in 17 years. Mm -hmm. I was excited about my life. 
for me personally. Right. So I was experiencing two very different mm-hmm. things at the same time. For me personally, I thought, oh my gosh, I might actually be a person who has happiness in their future. And I did not feel like I was that person for many, many years. And at the exact same time, I thought, but my happiness, is it going to come at the cost of my children's happiness? Right. It was that tension that I had a really hard time reconciling. And I think I just needed to live through it and see it play out in my kids and see them flourish before I could really go, no, we're all going to be okay. And even my ex to see him flourish as well, I think is a model for my kids. We are all okay. I tell my kids all the time, we are still a family. It's never, we're never not going to be a family. We're a different kind of family. But we're always going to be connected. We're always going to be a family. So I needed to live through this time to see that they're okay. But for me personally, it was from the start, hope. I know that's not everybody's story. I know for some people, divorce is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. That's not my story. Mm -hmm. My friend gave an analogy, if I could just share this really quick. My friend Andrea, the one who went with me to file, she said, after the divorce... I was like a person who's, who's someone you love has been in a a long-term terminal illness and you know, they're going to die. So when they finally do, it's sad, but it's also a relief Mm -hmm. for my ex. She said, he's like a person who just got a phone call that someone you love was killed in a car wreck. This was the same relationship. Right, right. (laughs) But for me, it was like I was so unhappy and so tortured, and he was shutting all of the pain out. He was keeping pain at bay until he couldn't keep it at bay anymore, and then it just overwhelmed him. For me, I had been trying to deal with my pain this whole time, so it was like, oh, good. Okay, that's over. I think, and this ties in with our personality type, if you don't mind me bringing in a little Myers-Briggs here. ENFPs need something to look forward to. We like, for me, honestly, I don't ever want to have someone throw me a surprise party because (laughs) anticipation is at least half of the fun. Planning what I'm going to wear and where it's going to be and what we're going to do. That is at least half, maybe it's three fourths of the fun. The event itself might only be a fourth of the fun. I love looking forward to things. And that was stolen from me in a miserable marriage because I just thought my future is dark and hopeless. And once my kids leave, and then I just have to be with this person for the rest of my life, this is not going to end. My life isn't going to end well. This is going to be dark and hopeless. So then getting a divorce gave me that something to anticipate again. Like, oh, no, the possibilities are limitless. Who knows what my future holds? And for me, that is a joy bringer. Yeah, totally. I can see that. So now as we sit here... Three, four years later, what are you most excited about? Mm -hmm. What sparks the most hope and joy in you now? Mm. I think I feel like I've been given a second chance at life and whatever that might entail. Mm -hmm. I really feel like um, I can decide. I have learned to trust myself. As I said, I... In the beginning of this marriage, I was a person who didn't trust myself. I have learned to trust myself. I listen to my gut. 
and I can choose good paths for myself. So now feeling like I have the chance to create a life. I have the chance to create a life. We all do. We all have the chance to create a life. What do I want my priority in life to be? And I have decided I want my priority in life to be joy. I want my priority in life to be joy because I know when I'm operating at my most galaness, I am a joy bringer. That is what I am here for. That is who I am. My name means a party, right? A gala event. (laughs) (laughs) So I am a joy bringer and I want that to be a focus of my life because if I'm living in my true plumb line self, then my possibilities are limitless because when I bring joy and I want to make sure that this is stressed, that that's not a superficial, I just want every day to be a party. That's not what I'm talking about. For me, bringing joy means I'm going to go to the protest against what's happening at our Southern border. I am going to stand up for what I believe in because that will bring me joy. And that will be me hoping that it's bringing someone else joy. Feeling like I'm making a difference in the world brings me joy. So I want that to be clarified, that it's not just a keep it on the surface. In fact, it's the complete opposite of that. It is go deep. What is the deepest well of who I am? And it is joy. And by bringing that, hopefully this new life that I'm creating will be a life that has an impact well beyond me, well beyond my children, because that's my heart's deepest desire. So being given that opportunity to choose what I want to focus on in my life, what a gift. I feel so lucky. I feel so lucky. To me, it seems like you're not just modeling to your children what a marriage or relationship should look like. You're also modeling to them that when hard things, like really, really, really terrible things happen, that you have a choice to keep moving forward, to keep the hope alive. Mm -hmm. And you're teaching them resilience. Mm -hmm. That is such a great thing to be showing your children. I sure hope that's what they're... I mean, you know, our kids are always watching. Just as I said, my son saw me crying and I didn't know that. They also see our good moments. And now that I have an older teenager... To watch him walk into his young manhood and, and, and for him to acknowledge that some of the things he is now incorporated into his life, he saw me model. Gosh, it's humbling and it's thrilling. And I can say here right now, for the first time, this is a thought that I just now had in my mind. I don't think he would have the, that, the knowledge that he has now had I stayed in that marriage and been that broken person. One, another thing my counselor said to me, I will never forget. And this is a very commonly used analogy is the analogy of the, when you're flying on a plane and they say, make sure you put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your child. I was trying to put the oxygen mask on my children and keep the, but I had no oxygen. So really I was laying in the aisle of the airplane thinking, here I am doing the right thing for my children. Instead, I have now put the oxygen mask on myself. I have filled myself up 
God has filled me up. I have allowed myself to be filled up. Now I have the strength to fill them up, to put their oxygen masks on them. And had I not taken that step and filed that death certificate, then he wouldn't be in that place where he can now say, this is who I want to be as a young adult. This is the kind of ways I want to operate. And the humbling situation where he can say, mom, I've seen you do this. I mean, that's all we hope for, right? It is all we hope for. In closing, what do you wish every single person on the planet knew? Hmm. <laughs> it's going to be all right. It is. It is going to be all right. When my children were small, I would tell them unabashedly, the good guys always win in the end. And if the good guys haven't won yet, it's because it's not the end yet. But it's going to be all right. It doesn't mean it's not going to be dark. And it doesn't mean it's not going to be tough. But it is going to be all right. Gayla, thank you so much for being here with us. We feel like so incredibly blessed to be your friend and that you would come visit us. And I hope that our listeners get the smallest fraction of the joy that you really bring into our lives. Um, a quick note, our two children are quite obsessed with Miss Gala. <laughs> and we The obsession is mutual. Uh-huh. We all I four the four bongs are fighting and clamoring for Gala's attention. <laughs> and it's getting ugly because we all want a piece of Gala because of the joy she brings. And I believe it's the joy that comes from being authentic and from doing the hard work and from knowing yourself well. Um, We're blessed by that. Thank you, Gala. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our hope is that each day you feel more connected to the knowledge that you are infinitely loved. If you want to continue this conversation, you can find us at yourinfinitelyloved.com.